Um, so, Luke chapter 15, um, in the first part of the parable from, I think, he, verse 11 to 24. Um, Jesus continued, and there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatty calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Thank you very much. Now we all know what Luke 15 is about. Has everyone got that? Have you had an examination? What does. Wobbling here. What's Luke 15 all about? The lost, firstly, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the lost sons. Very good. Tonight we're looking at the first son, and next week we look at the the second son, uh, which is quite an interesting look at. Now, have you, have you got your Bible open at this, this chunk? Well, I mean, it's so well known, this story, that it's a, a bit of a, a challenge to, uh, to have to look at it. But you know how, if you look at these artists' uh, catalogue, art catalogues, where some expert uh, writes something about the picture, 
very often they'll put in there, say, have you noticed up in the left-hand corner there's some detail that has high significance? Now, as we look at this story, of the, uh, which is a portrait of a, a lost man, you see there's some beautiful details that are quite easy to overlook. What's the essence? Why is this story so central? Isn't it because actually it portrays the very essence of the Christian message? It's, it's almost like a trumpet blast in the middle of the book that is the message of the Bible. And what is the message of the Bible? Come back to God. And this is what everybody must do. But there's also another message, isn't there, here? Who's it talking to? Who's this message about? The lost son is everyone. Must be right that we're all lost. And that's what we'll, we'll get into. I was talking to a man uh, this week as I was walking my dog. And we, uh, I mentioned church. And then I asked him if he's a Christian or he wasn't sure yet. And he said, I try to live in a godly way. Poor chap. Oh, it's a wonderful opening for a conversation, but he really thought that the Christian message was trying to live a good, moral, upright way. Dear, people really think that being a Christian is living a decent life. Why do they think that? Must be because we've not taught them. We've not explained to them that's not true. I love the story of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He did the um, Gulag Archipelago, the Russian writer, uh, uh, many books. But when he got the Templeton Prize, in the, when he gave his lecture, when he received the very generous prize, um, he analyzed what had gone wrong in Soviet Russia since the revolution. And he put it very simply, he said, they have forgotten God. But you know, he got expelled from Russia and he went to live in the States. And then he went on to say, now I see what's going on in the West. And he says, the trouble with what's going on in the West is that you have forgotten God. <laughs> it's so profound. I, I thought that sounded very original. Uh, it's very simple. But the other morning I was, I was reading a bit of Isaiah, Isaiah 17, 10, explaining why Israel uh, had become so desolate and desperate. Uh, and there it is. You have forgotten God, your saviour. You've not remembered the, your rock, your fortress. You have forgotten God. So this parable, it shouts to us and to our society, and clearly Jesus tells it to wake up those people who are listening to him, both his disciples to tell them what their mission is going to be, uh, to help the lost, but also to those who are lost to say what's, what's involved. It's not just turning over a new leaf and trying to be better. Uh, the, the Bible's got nothing to say about... Um, the against our seeking happiness. 
You know, some people seem to think that the Bible has. Can anyone think of anywhere it says against our seeking happiness? In fact, the end of this story, look how it starts, how it goes. Verse 32, can you all see it? We had to celebrate. It's, we've got to be glad. Because someone who's lost and is found. I'm, one of the things I've found this uh, last week, I've been trying to phone up a whole lot of ministers in the area. And to be honest, it's quite depressing. People are not concerned that people around them are lost. They're, they're trying to keep their own little institution going. And they're not concerned for the lost. And Jesus surely here is saying, but I am. Uh, this young man, I don't know how you'd sum it up. Perhaps he would say, I, I want to live my way. Who, whose song was that? Frank Sinatra. It's, people want that. It's the most popular song at a funeral. Amazing. Why on earth would anyone glory in saying, I want to live my way? Uh, because we've forgotten God. He wants to go off, forget his father, leave him out of his life, and yet take all the benefits that his father's given him. He wants his inheritance now. I suppose it's a bit like us in the world, isn't it? That we want all the goodies that God gives us. We want family and friends and money and successes. And yet we don't want the father at all this is his problem so verse 13 he sets off into this distant country it's a picture isn't it of someone who's a long way from God <laughs> let's not be deluded is the distant country attractive of course it is it's eminently attractive why do so many young people who are brought up in a Christian environment want to go away from Christ? Because the far country is very attractive. Uh, the world, the flesh, the devil, everyone else is going that way, so why shouldn't I join them on the broad road in the, in the short term? You know, wine, women and song, if you're a student, is, it's thrilling. Yeah, live it up. You go down to Benidorm or Costa Rica, um, Costa del Sol, I mean, Costa del Sol, uh, and you see the films there of, of what goes on. They're, they're travel brooches for this sort of life. Uh, it, it doesn't call them uh, satanic breaks. That wouldn't go down very well, would it? Uh, it's perhaps uh, freedom holidays, uh, freedom adventure breaks. It's attractive. And those companies, travel companies, will never go out of business because we all swallow the lies. We all think that, well, actually, that is terribly nice. We're seduced by it all. You know, different relationships. Our careers become the thing. Uh, our bank balance and you know, sexual things, they're so seductive, so sed addictive. 
Now, the far country is, is very attractive, and we're fools if we don't point it out to uh, young people now. There's a young man who's asked to see a, a minister in London, a delightful young fellow. The minister wasn't quite sure why he'd come to see him, uh, so he reached for his Bible. Uh, and the young man said, oh, please don't read from that book. I don't believe in God. Oh, the minister said, don't, don't worry about that. What I'm going to read you is a bit about man. Look at this. And he turned to Luke 15, uh, 14 to 16. This young man, just look at it, began to suffer. Famine. He began to be in need. Now in the West, there's very little physical need, but there's so much spiritual famine. So many people are asking, what is the purpose of life? So he began to suffer with famine. Then what's the next bit that happened to him? Servitude. He's having to do things he doesn't want because he's under authority. Uh, he was in a society that was tyrannical, abusive. And we've got an extreme example now, haven't we, in uh, what Russia's doing. He had deep longings, but nothing was satisfied. Look at verse 16. And furthermore, I think he got very lonely when his money went. What happened to his friends? He had lots of friends to start with, so-called friends. They weren't real friends because they left him when the goodies left. No one cared. Verse 16, no one gave him anything. Anyway, the minister, he just read those few verses to this young man. And he looked up and he said to him, tell me, does this have anything uh, to say to you? And this who atheist said, yes, that describes my life exactly. People are suffering. The tragedy is that that young man didn't return to his heavenly father, as far as we know. He continued to try and find satisfaction uh, in the way he was living. But in the long run, it'll end empty. I think there's something else that I found fascinating looking at this story is timing. You know, we often think, oh, God will strike down people who rebel. No, he doesn't. Very rarely does God act straight away, does he? Everything seems to be slow. At first, the prodigal was very happy uh, in the far land. But the Bible does teach that we will reap what we sow eventually. It may only be when we get into old age or maybe when we die. We seldom see the benefits of our wrong decisions immediately. I think that's true. The Bible takes a very long view on what's important. <laughs> the wicked do so often seem to prosper. Sin is seductive, but it seems for many people to be beneficial. Who knows what psalm 
talks about where uh, someone uh, looks at the successful people and they were tempted to be drawn away from God. There's, there's two. There's Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. Both have the same theme. It's quite easy to remember. And 73, if you've got it, look up 73 verse 2. Someone like to read it out. Psalm 73 verse 2. As for me. Are you there, JB? Oh, what a good man. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. But I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the Yep, there it is. But then the psalmist comes to his senses. He enters God's presence and he understands. Surely, he talks about the wicked, you place them on slippery ground. You do cast them down to ruin. And so often this it takes a long time, often, for godlessness to have its effect. Anyway, there's a great famine. And these can be all sorts of needs that we and our families and friends are going to face. Just think, what are the, the common problems that people face? Bereavement? Anything else? Illness? Yep. Financial problems, because the taxman gets at them, yes. Thank you, taxman. <laughs> Broken relationships, very common. Uh, yeah, loss of job. It's interesting. You've mentioned the, uh, the five things I put down here. I think they're the most common. But they can really get to us. Perhaps loneliness, I'd put as another one. Such testing does reveal if we've got resources that allow us to cope. Now, now, let's just see these problems again that he, he faced. Verse 14, he began to be in need. These beginnings are very significant. Jesus obviously used this word to get us to think. He began to be desperate. He began to be in need. How often it's only when we realize that we've got real needs, that this world can't satisfy, that we begin to realize how much we need God. When everything's going swimmingly, it's very hard to realize how much we need God. You know, we've seen the tragedy in Ukraine. It's so awful. But actually, there's a much greater tragedy, isn't there? Much greater tragedy. Yeah, that people will die without God. They stay in the far country away from God. They won't repent and turn back to God. People are dying in this country of spiritual malnutrition. <laughs> I wonder if that's what he's talking about here. When Jesus was tempted uh, in the wilderness... You know those three temptations when he's 40 days? What was the first one? Yeah, 
And what did Jesus say in reply? But that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need the word of God to get back into our society. Jesus says it's far more important than food. Now we do need food, but we desperately need to hear the word of God that this sort of story talks about. You know, people today are looking for experiences. Uh, and some churches are now feeding people uh, with uh, chasing experiences. And mysticism is, is rife inside and outside the church. But the food that God gives us is the word of God. It's a rational, informed message. It's not mystical primarily. There are emotional side effects. If we seek only bread, human, you know, satisfaction with physical things, we'll never be satisfied. The word of God is what Jesus says people need. <laughs> Do you remember Isaiah 55, 2? It's one of these uh, verses that people learn. You know, why do you labor for what, that which does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you'll delight in the richest affair. Isaiah 59.2 Why labor? Listen, listen to God's word. There's a sense in which we can rejoice as people begin to be in want. I say it again, there is a sense in which we can rejoice when people are in want. Why? Because it can wake people up to what really is important. So he was in need. The next bit, he began to be disillusioned. Look at 16. No one gave him anything. It's just not working out. What about all his old so-called friends? Then he must have said, what's the point of my life? Why? My life's become a waste. It's become nothing. Now, real friends, real friends are vital. Selfishness uh, undermines, ruins friendships. It's quite amazing. One of them is popular songs, isn't it? That one we just talked about at the funeral. Um, the uh, I did it my way. Incredible. The bread people need today is to hear the word of God again. Uh, perhaps I could just make a suggestion about uh, this, about passion for life. Because we need to get the Christians in this area using this opportunity to get others thinking. And just as Hannah did today with the family lunch, which was brilliant, you know, we need these ideas, different ideas. Um, you know, get people to come to some of the, the evenings. You know, talk to David about the, the lunch on Tuesday or to the ladies' lunch on, on Monday. But make sure you're praying who you could bring with you. We don't just want to fill it up with Christians. Bring a friend who needs to hear how they can be saved. So can we pray that God will use us to help our friends? 
So, those are the first two. The last thing he, uh, that comes to his senses, we've, uh, we've looked at, he began by being in need. It's not a bad thing to recognize their need. He began to be disillusioned. What he was trying to do wasn't working out. And he ended up with, what's he end up with? What's the biblical word? He began, he, he rethought the direction of his life. Yeah, he repented. He repented. What is repentance? There's so many people don't understand it. Some people think repentance is being... Yeah, before God. A lot of people think repentance is, oh, I made a mistake, I mustn't do that again. You know, that's all me. No, repentance must involve, as Ralph says, a, a relationship with God. I've offended against him. And it's a change of mind to give the Lord Jesus control of my life. We do it first time when we become a Christian. Do you do it again after that? Many times. We keep doing it. Every day we start again. We rethink where we're going. How am I honoring the Lord Jesus? And fortunately when he does it, what happens in verse 17? It's a lovely verse. 17. He came to his senses. It's not just an emotional event becoming a Christian. No, we think things out. It's got to be a decision of the mind. Look at 18. What he realizes. He realizes that he's sinned against his heavenly father. And that is ultimately what sin is. I was explaining this to a man who's going to get baptized next week, who's at the lunch. And what, what actually is sin? And they thought sin was you know, telling a lie, being promiscuous, things like that. But no, sin is S-I in the middle, N, isn't it? It's me first. Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm not worthy. And that's repentance. No longer will we rebel against God and live in ways that are dis displease him. We'll go wrong. Of course we will. But the secret is to say, yup, I've displeased the Lord in this. I'll start again. It's God alone who can save us. And that's what everybody needs to understand. Commitment to Christ, relying on his death, his blood, is the only means of salvation. Now, I thought it would be great to see, because we are meant to be you know, learning the word. So, uh, can you look at Psalm 51? Sorry? No, we're coming back to that. Um, turn to Psalm 51 and see... This is the time when King David, do you remember, had that disastrous affair with Bathsheba? And because Bathsheba was married, what did David do to her husband? Uriah the Hittite. Yeah, he had him, he was in the army, and he said, leave him stranding under the walls of the city you're besieging. 
and everyone else withdraw suddenly and leave him to be killed. Oh, wretched. But dear old Nathan the prophet went to him and said, God sees what you're like. And Psalm 51 says that. Discuss on your table, what are the features of repentance? Now, there are some notes going around uh, that we've just got five minutes for this. It's not very long, but um, it might be worth spreading out a bit. Um, start pulling this t- together now from a move back to Luke 15. We're just going to finish off with, with something very exciting. Repentance is something that's quite, it's quite hard, isn't it? But yet it's a condition of getting right with God again. And yet, in spite of our rebellion, God is longing for us to return to him. Just look at 15, look at 20, look at the Father. This is a wonderful understanding of what God is like. He's filled with compassion. For us. Look at 22. He, he showers privileges on this, this wretched man who's squandered everything. He's taken no real concern for God. And then he's thrilled when his son returns, isn't it? It's a lovely picture of his arms open, welcoming the son who he's been waiting to return. This son of mine who was dead is alive. He's lost, but now it's found. This week I had an uh, email from someone. As I mentioned, I've, been, I've sent about 60 emails giving the program for Passion to Life for various people who've been linked to the church or people we've known in the past. And one lady uh, who'd for a short while been involved in the church, she got baptised, but then she... Uh, she'd had problems and she just drifted away from the church and drifted from Christ Uh, she wanted uh, but now she sent a return email to us was it yesterday day before and says I miss you both often think I must return to an active path in my relationship with God I'll ring you in the next few days isn't it encouraging that deep down people are hurting I've no doubt she's like a prodigal daughter. And yet God longs for her to come back and enjoy a relationship with him. Joy of being in Christ is something that's wonderful. There's so many prodigals around who need to hear the love of God. Love that longs for people to return. God is searching for lost sheep. And we who have his spirit must be involved in this. Now let's spend just a few minutes praying in little groups and praying for what's going on. Praying that we'll have this mind of Christ to, that 15, Luke 15 talks about. Because we have the spirit of Christ. And to, to share him and to want others to to come back to a restored relationship with him. So let's just 
pray in our little groups just for a few minutes. Perhaps praying in these, these points from Psalm 51 or from this bit. Let's, let's finish this uh, short time together by an amazing thing. It's, it is amazing grace, isn't it? Yes. Thank you so much. Amen. Oh,